The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast, the weekly podcast covering the latest news, reports and interviews from fly fishing in Ireland. My name is Dara Whelan and we'll be covering salmon, sea trout, brown trout, even pike and bass throughout the season as we find out about the future and tradition of this sport that we all love in Ireland. We'll be speaking to guides, instructors, gillies, fishery owners, anglers to find out more about what it is that makes this sport so special from the history to what's going on right now and also to maybe try and get a sense of where we're all headed. For the very first episode, we're going to be speaking to Shane Gallagher, the manager of the Drowse Fishery. The Drowse, of course, opens on New Year's Day, one of the first rivers to open and regularly gets the first salmon caught of the season. Shane's going to give us an update on how the first 10 days went and we'll also find out a bit more about the fishery, how his father bought it in 1978 and how really developed that tradition of January the 1st for salmon anglers. So without further ado, here's Shane Gallagher from the Drowse Fishery. It's end of January now and uh, no salmon have been landed here. Um, conditions have been good. Conditions were good on opening day on January 1st. Water levels were lower than normal. It was extremely mild and it's, it's continued mild really since opening day. The weather's changed now. It's uh, very stormy out there today. It's turning colder and there's heavy rain forecast over the weekend. But uh, there's been some sightings of... Um, of fresh fish, uh, and yesterday there was a fish lost just above the new bridge on, on Spinner, but uh, nothing landed yet. And what about numbers of anglers out? Yeah, it's, it's been quieter now than normal. Um, I think that, I suppose that the, the trend recently has been uh, that fish haven't been uh, caught uh, as frequently on opening day, so people are probably waiting until there's a bigger head of fish in the water to uh, to come out in numbers. Um, and probably things like... Uh, Whereas maybe some years ago, people would, uh, you know, freely travel on uh, New Year's morning. You know, if people are celebrating the night before, they're probably reluctant to uh, to travel too far. And isn't the funny thing is like the conditions are actually getting milder, if anything, around kind of New Year's Day, that they're more conducive, accommodating for anglers to get out. But the reality is, like you said, is maybe the run is happening that little bit later now. Yeah, I think there, there's definitely... Um, like, I was just looking at the, the figures there today. Like, we, we took over the fishery in 1978, and, like, there was um, an opening day fish, 1st of January, maybe multiple fish, or, like, I think on all but a handful of occasions up until my father passed away in 2002. And, like, you know, you would have had uh, very cold conditions, very high water, so it didn't really seem to matter um, the conditions so much, uh, you know, back in the 80s, 90s. I think there was just a bigger head of fish. There was uh, fish running at different times <clears throat> earlier, you know. Mm. And do you think it, are you putting it down to a lighter run or and lesser numbers? A combination of all different factors. Yeah, I, well, I, I think um, personally the spring, uh, the number of spring fish caught has, has been consistent, really. Um, but when they have been caught is the, the factor that, that's changing. So, um, like 
the you know the and, and the quality of issue. Even last year now, uh, we were probably getting our, our, our run time seems to be extended, uh, whereas before maybe at the end of uh, maybe middle to the end of April, <coughs> the, the spring run would have been all but over um, in the river. Maybe back in the eighties, it's you know it's extended now, but it's it's definitely contracting at the start of the season. Of, of the season. And and are you having to change anything for yourself in terms of the running of the fishery to reflect that, or do you think? I suppose what I'm asking is New Year's Day opening day. It's still going to be the mark in the calendar, isn't it? Still going to be the tradition, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, uh, well, I think so. Like, um, if, if you look at some of the uh, the, the Scottish fisheries, um, you know, uh, say tomorrow now is the 11th of January. You have the the Hemsdale and the Terso opening. You have the Tay opening on the 15th. So, like you know, there are other fisheries around the country that open open early. Um, even in Ireland here, you have the the Lennon and the Laka and and, and Loch Gill. But uh, the opening day stays stays the same. But like if you look at say the, the Scottish fisheries, probably only the, the River Tay now and open on the fifteenth will consistently open that op, uh, you know deliver a fish on open day. It's probably uh, you know if you look at all the opening days of fisheries throughout Ireland, England, and Scotland and Wales. Uh, it's probably the exception rather than the rule to produce a fish on the first day of the season for for any uh, for any river. So, you know, it's become an expectation, but it's probably uh, exceptional rather than than the norm, really. Mm. And in fairness, opening day in the drought is is about anything but fishing in many respects, Shane, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. Like, um, it's it's a tradition. <clears throat> um, it's it's a chance for people to get together. It's it's a long winter. It's probably <laughs> after the Christmas holidays. It's a long time to spend cooped up with. Our family members as well, so it's nice to get out on the water and maybe test some, um, you know, new fishing uh, tackle that you've had for Christmas. Uh, and, and it's a tradition. I think it's important. Um, even say on closed fisheries like the River Liffey, there's a dispensation given to anglers to fish on on the first of January on their traditional open day because I think it's a, an acknowledgement that it, it, as you say, it's, it's more than than, than just fishing. It's uh, there's heritage there, there's culture, there's there's a whole part of, of, of what salmon angling really means, you know? Yeah, and I didn't make it up this year, but I was there last year, and I, I just, I was struck by, yeah, it was, carnival atmosphere is maybe the wrong word, too strong, but it was a real sense of camaraderie and chatting to other anglers, you know, who'd been coming for 10, 20 years. Again, they just make it a, a tradition of making yeah, a point of coming. It, it, it would be certainly a, a, a big part in a lot of um, salmon anglers' uh, calendars, and you know we're, we're very proud of the fact that we've had people uh, like uh, there's a guy Daryl Kennedy. He caught for a salmon, I think, when, when he was eight years of age in 1982, and he he hasn't missed a first of January uh, since. Uh, you know he, he he was brought down as a boy with his with his late father uh, Trevor Kennedy, and uh, just just you know uh, from generation to generation, and it's uh, it's become a mark in the calendar. Probably there's as many. Um, non-anglers or non-fishers just up to see uh, to talk to anglers and to see what the you know what's been caught or what spawning was like and just to have a have a chat just uh it's it's a long enough close season and it's just a nice uh, nice way to um to, to mark the, the start of the season uh like i suppose opening day is important you know it's an important day on any fishery but when an opening day coincides with the first day of the of the year as, as well it's sort of it's sort of extra special uh, did you say daryl he was eight years of age when he caught yeah, Daryl Kennedy from uh, Moira in County Down. He's, he's, he's a butcher, and um, he, he's been coming uh, every year since then. So he, he hasn't missed. Uh, he was there this year again, and you know, dr- driven through snow and ice and everything to, to be here on the first. And he, he's married himself now with, uh, with a young family, and he's uh, 
he's still making the pilgrimage every every uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> and of course, as well for you and your family, uh, Shane, it's Christmas is obviously a busy time for everybody, but for for the Gallaghers, it must be exceptionally busy for you guys trying to get everything ready. Yeah, well, we we, we certainly turn our attention from from turkey to salmon <laughs> on uh, maybe on Stephen's day, and you know the phone starts ringing and we start to get emails and people asking about conditions and we're always keeping a, a, a weary eye on the uh, on the weather forecast. So yeah, it, it's a big day. Uh, my own my own children love coming up and, and uh, <clears throat> talking to uh, talking to anglers that they haven't seen you know for for three months from the from the end of the season. And yeah, it's it, it certainly it's uh, it's probably the biggest day in in in, in the fisheries uh, calendar and the biggest day in, in our family's calendar. Absolutely. Did you get out do any fishing yourself? <clears throat> no, no, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't fished uh, on an opening day since I think I was about maybe since I was I was a boy. Um, it's always been all hands on deck. So uh, it's uh, <laughs> maybe in the, a couple of days after I, I was out for for the first time, just uh, just in the last couple of days, and um, I didn't didn't do any good. But uh, it's nice to be back on the water again. And again, what I have to say is like what I love about being up there is, you know, it's an open fishery on the day. You know, you're, you're really trying to encourage numbers and people to come. You, you provide soup and sandwiches. It's you don't have to do it, but it's, it's just, again, it kind of adds to the overall atmosphere in the day, I think. Yeah, well, I, I suppose that was the way um, the way it always, uh, as I remembered uh, as a child, uh, as I say, like my, my father uh his he grew up on the banks of the river um and his first open day was in 1978 he had actually caught the first salmon on two occasions before he he bought the fishery but uh i suppose hospitality was always important um i think on on the first our first open day there was maybe a dozen anglers uh, was was all that was uh, turned out and um over time then i suppose the fishery's reputation grew and it you know it would have been uh an open day fish. There was always a bit of rivalry with the uh, with, with the with the Liffey. So my father sort of pushed the boat out to try and um, tr- try and put uh, put the drought on the on the map. It's the you know, it's a small river. It's only five miles long and it's draining from it's coming from the the, the county with the smallest coastline in the country, County Leitrim. So uh, it, it was important to sort of make make an extra special effort to make it worthwhile for people to uh, to, to, to come. Any particularly memorable fish from opening day down through the decades, Shane? Yeah, I, I suppose I suppose every fish is memorable in in, in its own way, really. Um, uh, it, it's it's hard to maybe you know uh, put but uh, I suppose the most memorable fish would, would have been in uh, maybe the the opening day that my father actually passed away in two thousand and two. Um, Patsy Tracy from Enniskillen caught the fish in in the mill pool, and it, it was probably late in the evening. We almost given up hopes of of a fish being landed, so it was starting to get dark around four o'clock, and um, Patsy. Came into the tackle shop with, with his fish, and had the usual celebratory uh, crest of town or Jemison. And uh, my father had, which turned out to be the last photograph uh, that was ever taken of him with the with the first salmon of the year in 2002. And uh, minutes later, he went he, he went away to wash his hands after handling the fish and uh, got a heart attack. <clears throat> so that was the, that, that was probably the you know the most poignant uh, first salmon uh, uh, that I remember. You know. Mm. I, I suppose if anything, some place to go, wasn't it, for your father? You know, in terms of absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, he, he was relatively young; he was only sixty-five. So, but I, I, yeah, I think if uh, if he had to pick a way to go, that you know, that would have been the uh, <laughs> that would have been probably uh, 
you know, one of the, the best ways. Uh, and for you then at the time, because it was sudden, um, Shane, was it very much then kind of the, you were nearly forced into having to take over the running of the fishery maybe sooner than you thought, was it? Yeah, possibly. Like, <clears throat> like I, my father had been in, you know, relative ill health for a number of years previously. So I, you know, I, I was, you know, uh, I, I had come home to, uh, to to help out really, but I hadn't expected to be, you know, thrown in at the deep end. I, I was only, I think, twenty five, and I, you know, I had expected to learn a lot more from him, maybe maybe sort of shadow him for uh, a couple of years, sort of uh, at the fishery. But uh, that's that's not how it turned out. And how did so, you find um, it those initial few years in terms of when you were? Yeah, taking well, I, I, I was very lucky. With uh, we have a very loyal um, uh, loyal anglers, loyal. Uh, Season permit holders and uh, been likely to would be you know would have been a real stalwart there, and uh, and the general goodwill of the community. I think um, you know we, we've always tried to be very much grounded in in the, in the community, and, and there was a lot of goodwill there. So you know without without the support, the help and support, and, and of my own family as well, uh, it would have been much more difficult. But you know it, it turned out you know it's uh, it's, it's probably. There's all those difficulties, and I suppose, especially with salmon fishing, and um, you know, there's a lot of pessimism about uh, salmon runs and um, uh, about the future of salmon angling, really in general. Uh, but it's uh, like we're 18 years on now, so things we're 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 still open, and we're still uh, there's still a good, healthy number of, of salmon coming. So. So it's worked out okay. Talk to me about that in terms of salmon runs and the pessimism around it. Um, you wouldn't subscribe to that, would you? Certainly the number of salmon uh, returning are, are, are reduced, but uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt that there's still sustainable fisheries in, in Ireland, um, but by any measure, you know. So, um, like, I, I don't think that because uh, salmon isn't produced on opening day consistently, on the river anymore that it can be taken as a bellwether for the overall health of a of, of a system. Like you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer, and one one salmon doesn't make a season. Mm-hmm. Do how do how do the catches um, hold up for the droughts for the rest of the year? Yeah, two two thousand nineteen was was a good year. Um, as I said, the the spring run has been uh, consistent, and if you remember, twenty eighteen was was a drought year, so it was much more difficult. So <clears throat> the um, the the 2018 catch stats are, are out, and the, the catch really all over the country is down by a third or more. Um, so I, I put a lot of that down to the, the sustained drought uh, in, in the peak of the of the grill thrown in, in June, July. But if you look overall, I think the in 2018, even though it was, it was a difficult year overall for salmon, the, the the spring catch was actually increased from from 2017. Okay. Uh, tell me this do you think a lot of it is around the pessimism of it and, and it's you know we're seeing extremes of weather there's a real you know you've climate change you know the wider kind of existential issue of kind of what the hell is going on with the with the planet and and the environment in general is kind of feeding into that kind of sense for anglers that you know you don't know the run is changing you don't know what's happening it's it's just there's no definitive answers anymore well, that is the main frustrating thing that I, I, I would see uh, as being somebody who manages a salmon fishery is that there is no um, <clears throat> there is no one fundamental cause that can be pointed at. And you know, I, I study the literature and the journals pretty uh, rigorously, and you know, one study could come out and say point uh, indicate one uh, reason for a decline in salmon, and then it can be contradicted six months later. And you know, so it's it's very difficult to have. 
uh, any any consistency about uh, a single cause. So I think the, the, the real explanation is that there's a, lo- a lot of different causes and uh, any approach to address the decline in salmon is going to have to, have to be holistic and, uh, you know, if, if we continue to um, just focus on one aspect of salmon decline, then we're not going to solve any issues. We're, we're, we're not going to increase salmon numbers and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to be... be it's going to spiral, uh, spiral further down. Really, uh, what can you do as a, the manager of a salmon fishery? Like, what's within your control um, that you can manage yourself? Well, I, I think one of the fundamentals has to be um, has to be habitat. Um, like, you know, pe- people will say that <clears throat> um, over exploitation exploitation by anglers or catch and release is a solution. If you look at from two thousand and seven, I think the exploitation of salmon has reduced by ninety six percent. Uh, since uh, the ending of the drift nets, but we're still seeing a decline in numbers. So if you look at the uh, recent EPA report on water quality, water quality has, has reduced in the last 20 years. There's only a handful of uh, pristine uh, rivers or, or, or streams in the country at the moment, uh, you know, com- compared to 20 or even 40 years ago. And isn't that incredible, Shane, actually, within the context of the EU Water Frameworks Directive? Because we've heard so much about that, and yet when you're still reading that the water quality is still going down. Yeah, uh, like it's... Uh, well, I suppose there is increased uh, intensification, maybe of farming, and there's increased population levels. But it's it, it's a fundamental thing. Like if uh, you can release, you know, every salmon in the system, and if the habitat isn't there or if it's not of a sufficient quality, you're not going to get any uh, addition. You're not going to get any additional salmon coming back if the uh, if the habitat is, habitat is degraded. It also struck me as well, just from that um, report as well on the catch report from 2018. Just remind me the figure for catch and release. Does it come to hand for you? I just I can't remember. Yeah, I think it, I think it was somewhere around uh, maybe 45 percent. Yeah, eighteen. We're happy forty seven forty seven percent in twenty seventeen. But the majority so, of, fi- yeah. of salmon being caught are still being killed. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, the the majority. Well, actually, not not the majority. All of the salmon that are uh, being being harvested or being being killed. Uh, are being harvested in uh, fisheries that have been deemed to be sustainable above uh, the conservation limit by the Standing Scientific Committee. So it's not uh, uh, anglers are not randomly killing fish or harvesting fish. They're only being harvested in, in salmon in, in salmon waters where the, it, it's, uh, it's deemed uh, sustainable. And I, I would say as well that in a lot of those uh, rivers where anglers are harvesting fish, uh, commercial nets are, are taking, um, you know, sometimes the, the lion's share. Yeah, that's a fair point. Like, um, I suppose maybe an angler's a lot of the time feel that they're the easy target sometimes um, when there's when there's other bigger forces at play. It, it's very easy to say, you know, we're, we're going to control the controllables and, and reduce, um, <coughs> you know, reduce what, what, what anglers take. But if we don't uh, address the fundamentals like uh, water quality, uh, protection, uh, of you know, then all all the other uh, sacrifices that anglers make are, are for nothing. Just want to bring you back, Shane. Just finally, is um, nineteen seventy eight is when the droughts uh, first opened. Um, you might just talk to me about it. It was incredible, your father Thomas, in terms of the fishery became available, um, and it was the first time in a couple of hundred years that like your family actually who had owned and had lived on the river um, for centuries, actually had access to, to fishing there. Is that right? You might just give me the background to how your father yeah, came well, to buy the drive. Yeah, well, 
Our, our, our family had uh, grown up. Uh, my, I'm actually living in a house now, which was a mill, which was my grandfather's grandfather's mill, and milling was sort of in 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 the blood. So my my father uh, grew up, uh, and he, they had a corn mill that was turned into a, a sawmill, and um, so. Back in the, in the maybe mid seventies, he was supplying a lot of uh, wooden fish boxes before plastic fish boxes, you know, came into being uh, to the port and killy bags, which is just about a, um, an hour's drive from the fishery. So over time, he, he became allergic to the sawdust, uh, so he, he was advised medically basically that he had to, he had to exit the industry, and it just so happened that um, the fishery uh, here came up for sale. So he, he took the plunge and um, he started to develop some of the uh, cottages that were on the estate into holiday cottages and he developed a relationship with a, with a German tour operator called Andres Angelreisen. And it, it was extremely difficult in the early days because even though um, the stocks of salmon were, were, were probably more than they are now, uh, you know, you were in the middle of the troubles. Uh, there wasn't very many direct flights into Ireland from some of our, you know, uh, destinations like there is now. So it was a real struggle, but uh, it, it was thankfully it was a success story, and um, you know we're thankfully to this day we're, uh, we we get a lot of repeat customers. Some, as I say, going back to uh, you know to the very beginnings of, of our association with the fishery. Did people think your father was mad at the time when he when he bought it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there was probably uh, probably an element of that, but I think. Uh, he was lucky because he was a local, uh, because he had an intimate knowledge of the river, and um, he he encouraged uh, locals. And he, you know, whereas before it was managed in a way maybe where locals were excluded, and there was, there was probably a little bit of resentment there. So when the community was behind, uh, you know, my father and its management, and they saw over time uh, the beneficial effects of increased anglers and increased tourists coming into the area in the local bars, restaurants and shops. Uh, certainly, like for a small community in North Leitrim, it's as good as, a, as my father used to say, as good as a small factory to uh, for, for employment in the area, you know. Was it was the fishery pre-1978 like a, a private fishery only at the time, was it? It, it, was, it went through various uh, guises. My, my uh, grandfather, my, my, my dad's dad, was, was actually a ghillie on, on, on the river uh, back in the, in the 1920s. Uh, and it was probably more of a, of a, of a, 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 a shooting estate back then, not done fishing. But Kingsmill Moor, like in one of his, uh, in uh, Amanly Fish, uh, he, he devotes a chapter to to come in here to fish. It's, the chapter is called uh, the Big House, uh, which was, was actually burnt down in, in, in the 1930s. But uh, yeah, the the, um, it, the fishery at one stage was associated with a local hotel, but um, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been uh, fished by many locals at all, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, so your dad really had this vision then was to kind of make it open for for more people and 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 to really kind of bring the community and people together with the fishery, which is the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know now there's there's moves towards um, say river trusts and bringing everybody in the community, uh, getting people involved in river management. And I think maybe my father was ahead of the time back then because when he was growing up, um, he. He grew up on the banks of the river, uh, literally within uh, a rod length from, from from the waters of the river, and he wasn't allowed to fish. Of course, he did, uh, like a, like any young young boy would. But uh, you know, he would have been ran by gamekeepers and bailiffs and all the rest. So I, I think that really resonated with him. It, it struck him, and um, he always felt that if he ever 
became the owner of the river that you know he would uh, make us uh, or run it in such a way that uh, even to this day, like we don't charge juveniles to fish. Um, all the, all they need is their is their government license, and uh, to just to uh, have it always within the reach of ordinary people. And you know, I, I know. Other fisheries uh, will have fly-only policies and will have beat systems and all the rest, but like that's not really our our uh, ethos. Um, anybody who wants to, uh, you know, fly fish only on uh, two miles of riverbank, they have the opportunity to do that to do that wherever they want. Really, uh, they have the wherewithal, but not everybody can can access uh, a quality salmon river where they have a chance of. Um, of catching the fish if they are of modest means or if they want to fish, uh, if they want to spin or if they want to bait fish and things like that. So it's important to, in, in a time of dwindling participation in salmon angling, I think it's very important to make it less exclusive, uh, to encourage people to participate. Like most of us that are fishing would have started off fishing maybe with a worm catching a trout. And if we, you know, nobody starts off uh, spay casting when they're six or seven years of age, so we, we have to introduce people into salmon angling somewhere if we want to protect the, the future of the sport. So what does the future hold for the drows fishery? To be honest with you, I think that the future is uncertain um, because of the way salmon is being managed, um, you know, both nationally and internationally. We, we need to take it seriously. I think if you look at um, the... the um, conservation level attainment of the drought since the conservation limits were introduced uh, over 13 years ago, we've been at the maximum at 300%. So we are sustainable, but uh, the very fact that we're sustainable doesn't protect us from changes in regulation or policy or uh, what, what's in vogue or what's uh, what's in fashion. So like, fun- fundamentally, what I think is that uh, anglers have to have a choice if it's sustainable um, and if, if it can be you know, if it's not going to have a detrimental effect on stocks in an individual river population, anglers should have the choice to retain their catch. I mean, that's uh, it's it's what gives salmon angling, in my personal opinion, it's it's what gives us authenticity and uh, legitimacy. Well, it's going to be a long road ahead, that's for sure, uh, Shane. We might touch base with you later in the year to see how the kind of uh, the later run and maybe the grills run is getting on with you guys up there. Yeah, no, absolutely, because. You know, it's going to be interesting to see how the spring run turns out this year. Um, if if you look at, uh, there's some research done uh, by the Tweed Foundation about uh, dominance of, you know, salmon runs and, and grills runs, <clears throat> and that we, we may be moving into a, a period now where the, where the grills are, are are less dominant and, and spring salmon become more dominant. So there's, there's many theories out there, and I suppose nobody really... It's like salmon fishing itself. Uh, nobody really knows all the answers or has all the answers. All you know is if if you get the, if your flies in the water, that's the only way you'll find yeah, out. Yeah, and yeah, and you, you won't catch any fish when you're when you're not, you're not on the riverbank. Exactly. So if people want to find out more, want to get in touch in terms of um, organising fishing, what's the website? Yeah, the website is uh, driversalmonfishery dot com, and we're also on on Facebook and Twitter and. Uh, any time if anybody has any questions or I'm always available brilliant and we keep an eye out for the first salmon of the season to be caught up in the dress Shane Gallagher from the dress fishery thanks very much for joining me you're very welcome thank you the mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable 
Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mann. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.